So, good morning, VCBC. Thank you for joining us once again for another Sunday of worship together. And do you remember last week? Last week we talked a little bit about for the first two weeks of this uh, new year, we'll be going through this new vision and mission that we have as a church. And so last week, Pastor Gilbert talked a little bit about um, our, our mission, about how to live out our lives um, in all areas of life as uh, followers of Christ. And so if you look on your bulletin at the front page this morning, we'll talk a little bit about the mission of this church. And so a little bit of an introduction as I was thinking a little bit about this uh, passage and this idea of our church mission this morning. The idea that came to mind is um, just like the title. It's called Boosted Bonobo. And some people might ask, what does that even mean? Like, what does boosting a monkey have to do with the idea of raising generations of Christ followers and disciple makers. So the word boosted bonobo came as an internet term not too long ago. And it came as, uh, if you look up our great authority in, in, in our urban dictionary, you'll realize that the word boosted bonobo came when it's originally an internet gaming term where when a person is incapable to, to play or to perform in a particular level. And they, as a result, they want to be a higher level. And so they got other friends or they paid for services. Yes, people pay when they play games to win. And, and if you know people on the iPhones, they do that too. They pay like hundreds of dollars. But the point is they pay money to get people who are better skilled, than they are to quote-unquote boost them, to lift them up to a higher competitive level. So, so they get this really vanity of saying, oh, I'm actually a top 100 player in this world, but in reality, they're actually the bottom 100 player in terms of skills, but they can brag because on the scoreboard, they said they're the top players. And so that's where the term boosted but noble come, comes from. But on a more relatable term, you can kind of think of it as a little bit like the phenomenon we're dealing with in our generation, this idea of helicopter parenting, where um, parents are so hands-on with their own children that they would be involved in anything from their daily lives to even in their job search or even how they find a girlfriend, a boyfriend, or how they are engaging with these um, matters that supposedly they should be deal with themselves. And there's a story that, uh, that went was that in Asia, uh, it was on the news where this, um, this lady was interviewing for jobs. So she graduated and nothing, normally anyone, um, natural progression would be once they graduate and after they take some time to travel or what do whatever they want to do, they would look for a job. And so this lady went went job interview. The only difference is the mom was sitting with her, next to her in the interview. And the mom answered every single question for that. And even asked, Oh, if my daughter isn't feeling well, do you 
does she get a day off? And if she is under stress, can she just walk away? And like, can, can she do all these things? And then whenever the uh, interviewer would interject, uh, would answer the question, the mom would interject and ask, like, and, and try to be defensive about the daughter and like be, be, be vouching for the daughter. And then to a point where the story went that the interviewer got so uh, frustrated that he threw a muck on the ground and broke it. And then, and then the mom was like, okay, um, well, well, that's fine. And, and, then, and, then, and then afterwards, after the interview ends, the, the people left. And as you would get, well, guess, the interviewer probably declined this application. But then the mom had the guts to turn around a, moment, a few moments later and ask, oh, uh, my daughter said she would take the job. When does she start? It was like, that's kind of helicopter parenting. And so as we think about the idea of raising generations of Christ uh, followers and disciple makers, part of the danger we could rock, walk into is this idea that as a community, are we being helicopter leaders? in the way we treat our, our, our next wave of le uh, potential leaders and followers of Christ. So as I think about that, the passage that really came to mind, as I want to share this idea, came from the book of Mark, um, this very famous parable about the mustard seed. And so it's a really short parable, so I'll read this for you. So what shall we say the kingdom of God is like, or what parable shall we use to describe it? It's, it's like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on the earth. Yet, when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants, with such great branches that the birds can perch in the shade. So, a lot of you probably have heard this somewhere at some point in your life, if you grew up in the church. And, the things that you heard people highlight all the time is, oh, the kingdom of God is kind of like this tiny little thing. And then it grew into this giant thing at the end. And, and that's how amazing this growth is. But if you look deeper into the passage, there's actually a lot more to offer as you look in, within the text. So as the context we're saying, there's a man who grew something in a garden. And when you think about the idea of a garden, why would Jesus deliberately say garden and not like a field or a farm or, 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 or a plot of land? Garden is specifically mentioned as a way to indicate that when we put something, plant something in the garden, it's something that needs special care because otherwise you can chuck it at a field and they just go and like, Go, go crazy and grow by its own. But when you put in a garden, there's usually plants that are very defenseless, that you need special care at so that it can nurture under a safe and secure environment, that it can grow in um, its own abilities without any distraction or, or competition or, or, or even um, just any danger. And as we read, there was a gardener too. And this gardener deliberately chose this one seed to plant. And, and there, there is that involvement where the gardener actively worked with growing this particular seed.
seed and plant. And this plant, as we know, is the mustard seed. And a lot of times when I think of mustard as this yellow little grain looking thing that we use as a condiment for uh, our hot dogs or our, 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 our meat dishes and all sorts of different foods, right? And so we know that there's a, this tiny little yellow seed. But one thing that we didn't know is that back in the day, and the particular mustard plant that Jesus was mentioning, this black mustard, it's not like a very timid little plant that we know about that, that, that people put in the farm and they just grow by themselves and then they bear whatever that we harvest and it becomes used for us. But this is actually a kind of weed. Not, not like the, the one that got legalized last year, but like, like invasive weed. So, so, so when you think of weed, um, I originally started off studying plant ecology. So, so I got to work a lot of, with this idea of like working with all these invasive species of plants. And that's what a lot of these weeds are. They are invasive plants where if you put them at the right environment, they would thrive and they would grow uncontrollably to the point where you might not even want them in your garden because it suffocates everything else and then it sucks the life out of all the nutrients. And if you want to grow other less powerful plants, it will not grow because, you know, a reed would just take up every, every space, every um, fertilizer source and everything, right? And that's what the black mustard is. It's a little bit more domesticated in that time, but it's still a wheat that it would grow uncontrollably when you put it in the right environment. And so the story goes that this little seed was planted in the garden, and then it grows, and it grows, and it grows. Right? And eventually it's said that it grew so big that the birds would perch on its branches. So when we think about mustard plants, if you look in um, the internet, it's kind of like these plants where it's not very big. It's like a shrub. So you're like, how can a bird rest on something like that? Like it would just break. It would snap, right? But if you look into the scientific articles, you realize that a black mustard plant, it grows in the right environment and left uninterrupted, it can grow as high as three meters. So like about somewhere, almost where kind of like between the lamp and the pews that you're, you're sitting at right now. That's how, how tall the mustard plant can grow into. And the branches are also really strong, like a tree. And, and, and when the story goes, it says the birds that in some of the other versions of the gospel is actually saying birds of the sky. So it's not just like this tiny little chickadee chick that was resting on the branch. They're talking about birds like eagles and like vultures and like all these bigger birds that are resting on the mustard plant. And so where am I going with this? So the idea that when you grow a mustard plant, originally, of course, if you garden something, there's a purpose. You don't just 
chuck it in there and thinking, okay, let it grow and I'll just let it be and do nothing about it, right? You <coughs> grow it for purpose, whether it might be for aesthetics, and I'm guessing you won't grow a weed for aesthetics, like it's not going to look nice in your garden. So when you grow a mustard plant, you're expecting to harvest its seeds. And in that culture, the mustard seeds are being used for mostly medicinal purposes, where it helps soothe certain illnesses for you. But Jesus never talked about that in, in the parable. But instead, you realize that that plant was used for al- alternative purposes, where birds were perching, that it became a sanctuary for other um, animals to rest on. And this is just like how Jesus always used something and make it into something unexpected to its readers, where, um, for example, in the Samaritan woman, you would think that Jesus would scold the Samaritan woman. Of course, we have the hindsight to know that like the story doesn't go like that. But you have, um, you have a listener back in the day, here a teacher of the law, of, of the ways of life, and then a Samaritan woman, their automatic response would be, he would try to avoid that woman or scold that woman if she ever walks any close to her. In the same way, the prodigal son story that we talked about before, that by any cultural standard, the father would have beaten the son to death when he came back because he dishonored the family. But rather, the father lost all his perceived dignity and ran towards the son to protect them, to embrace them. And in the same way, this is how the story went, that we originally thought, okay, this guy planted a mustard seed, so of course he's going to harvest a mustard seed. But instead, the plant was being used to be a sanctuary for birds. And so as we think about this idea of this unexpectedness, it's kind of like when you look into our own community, are we growing a garden where we let some seeds grow and let it flourish? And do we come with a particular expectation that they have to fit a certain mold that we would expect a Christian should be, that in a church, that is in our cultural uh, placement, that you need to live up what a person in VCBC should be like and do things that a person in VCBC should do? Or do we create that space and let them say, okay, um, there are boundaries like a garden that we protect them so that they don't go too far off. But in the same time, we give them that space to thrive and be who they are created to be. And as you think about it, it's very interesting. We said that this little thing grew into a three-meter plant. And if you grow something in a garden, you would know that you need to create that space. If something wants to grow to three meters tall, you need at least like three, four meters of space of nothingness around them so that they can actually grow. They won't get suffocated. And so there's that deliberation that the gardener has to do to create those spaces for them or for these plants so that they can become the best at who they are created to be.
And so a lot of times we talk about how do we parent, how do we nourish people, how do we nurture people. And in the psychology of parenting, they say that there are two different ways of parenting. And this is the dichotomy of being a carpenter or a gardener. So a carpenter would create a space for for the next generation or the next group of uh, kids or their offspring to grow with their own blueprint. They build environments. They do everything within this power so that everything is guided, everything is structured to a way where it would fit a certain uh, product or outcome that they're trying to get to. It's like building a table. Like There's a specific specification of what defines as a table, right? And so you can't just say, like, okay, let's put, like, I don't know, like, let, let's put five different planes. Like, it becomes a sphere, and then you're like, this is a table. But that's not a table, right? You can't really use that thing in the same way as what would use a, as you normally define as a table. And so that, that's kind of the way a carpenter parenting style would be. Whereas in a gardener perspective, our gardener would do everything in the environment to create the best um, scenario uh, for the seed or plants. And then they would leave that space for that plant. And then they would thrive and grow on its own accord. And they might do things here and there to make sure it is doing okay, but it won't impose anything and let it become the... The, the grown plant that it is designed to be. So when we think about this concept, this mission of raising new generations of Christ followers and disciple makers, we made that deliberate choice that when we discern our vision, and we went through quite a few different iterations. And originally we talked about what we call it build up, building generations of Christ followers and disciple makers. But we decided that that's not quite what Jesus mentioned in the Bible. And if you look at all the different parables that Jesus used, most of the time it's about some sort of gardening, some sort of plant-related, some sort of uh, farming-related parables. And I think that's a deliberate choice that Jesus made, that even Jesus, he's a carpenter, you think that he would use his own life experiences to talk about how to see and witness and to experience the kingdom of God. But instead, he used the analogy and examples of gardening and farming because that's essentially how disciple-making is like, that we can do everything within our powers to create that space. We can build the perfect scenario, but at the end, we don't control whether something grows or something doesn't, or whether something grows the way we want, or something that something that it, it's naturally built to grow. And so, <clears throat> as we are raising up these um, plants, these seeds in our community, it's, <clears throat> it's in the same way where we do what's best for them, but in the end, only God can allow and decide how something grows and how something grows into. 
And it is when we try to constrict it, kind of like the idea that in Japan they have those cubes of watermelon, right? We, we, we look at like, they, they do all these different gardening techniques to constrict things so that it becomes something that we want it to look like or something that we want it to become. But that is not natural, right? It might look nice, but does it function the way God intended? Does it function in the way that would necessarily bring good to the world the way God wanted the thing to become? And so part of raising requires us to give respect. To give respect on the sovereignty of God, that God is the one in control and not us. We are not the ones who can decide who someone should become, how someone should live up to their calling, or how someone are to exercise and and, and to live out the, their, their faith in their own image of God. And, and to do that, we need to give respect. We need to also give respect to the people or to the uh, generation that we are responsible for. That we need to create those spaces and not intrude and to impose on them as to how to live out this life. And lastly, we also need to remind ourselves to give that respect that just because we have become the predecessors, that we come before this generation, doesn't mean that we are only the ones imparting. We're the ones offering. We're equally people of the receiving end, that there are things that we can learn from them. That those who are newer in faith, who are younger than us, are equally powerful in leading us closer to God to bring us into a deeper discipleship with Jesus Christ. And so, long story short, raising up disciples is a really delicate art of respect. It requires us to entrust God, to entrust that, to trust in God that respect that he has given us, that as we are disciple makers, we have to also not encroach on what God is doing with his own new generation of followers. And we also need to earn the respect as mentors. As someone who mentioned during one of our interviews last year, empowering the new, the future generations also requires us to make time and earn the trust and earn the respect from the future generations so that they feel they're valued, they're respected, and they have the right to, 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 to take risk and perform in a way worthy of their own calling. And lastly, we also need to extend, <clears throat> extend this respect to those we're mentoring, that we are not just the ones giving, but we're also the ones receiving that we are also good listeners, not just good talkers, to know that there are equally good things we can take as we engage in these relationships. And so it is not in our image that we're raising the next generation or the new generation, but it is in God's image that we're trying to build them 
to through our environment and to raise them through the nurturing that we're creating. And of course, this is no easy task. It takes a lot from us, and it takes a lot of authenticity. It takes a lot of humility in our part, and it takes a lot of vulnerability that there are going to be a lot of risks that we're entrusting for, for them to live out to their calling, that there are things kind of like the mustard seed, right, where there are things that are, they might seem invasive or, or it might suck up some of our own life as a result when we give out that space for them to grow. But if this is what God said is their calling, we need to do our due diligence and create those space for the next generation so that they can become who they're called to be. But the good news is that as Jesus reassured us during the Great Commission that he will be with us to the end of the age, that he will be with us always to the end of age, that God himself is not a helicopter God that would impose everything on us. And equally, God isn't that one that would just boost us beyond what we're capable of, that he would walk alongside us to enable us to become who we are in his image, that he would guide us to become the very persons that we are uniquely created to be, so that we as disciple makers are living on this lineage so that others can see that freedom and extend that freedom to the next group of people that they are entrusted with and to the next and to the next. Let's all pray together. <laughs> Father God, we give thanks for this opportunity to revisit this um, idea of raising up generations. And as we continue to live out our lives, Lord, may we learn to respect your sovereignty. May we continue to learn to respect our calling that we're here to raise but not to impose. And we also pray that you also empower us with your spirit to, to, to earn our respect that we would create spaces and to be good listening in the way we interact with those we're entrusted with. We thank you. And in Jesus' name we pray.